Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Franchise pros, Stan the Man, Paul Segretto, Badlands Baby. Huh. Franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Hello everyone in the franchise world, my name is Paul Segreto and this is Franchise Today. Today is Wednesday, September 27, 2017 and I am reporting live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania as well as my co-host Stan Friedman is also here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're at the Springboard Conference. Stan, how are you today? Paul, this is kind of awkward, isn't it? Even when we're in the same hotel, we're in different rooms. Like, you know, like every <laughs> time we do this, we're usually in different cities. Here we both are in Philadelphia, and yet we couldn't get a boardroom or something that we could actually see each other eyeball to eyeball while doing today's podcast. But other than that, man, life is good. Yeah, life is good, except uh, we both thought we were coming to the uh, city of brotherly love and would enjoy some cool weather, uh, but it, it, has, it hasn't been the case. It's been 90 degrees, high humidity. It's just kind of a this little thing we're always talking about the weather, but, boy, I'll tell you, it's hot here in Atlanta. I mean, in Atlanta. Hot here in Philadelphia, but you know what was hotter? Is this springboard event stand, uh, Lane, and, and Brad, Lane Fisher and Brad Fishman and the entire staff at Fisher Zucker, what a tremendous event i you know this one just keeps getting better and better and you know you can find things in every conference to say you could be better logistically but i'm going to tell you something these two guys are busy people with full-time professional practices and have brought this program to a new high this year 400 plus in attendance great venue Great opportunity for networking, for meeting people, and for sharing and caring. And, I mean, it's, I think that they've taken this to a whole new place this year. And um, I'm really proud to have been a participating sponsor and happy to be here and meeting a lot of new friends and catching up with a lot of old ones. But looking at, looking at the number of franchisors that are here this year that are not just the ones coming out of the gates, but there are several here that by some people's definition really wouldn't hit the, the definition of emerging. There are many people here that are north of 100 units, and they still consider themselves emerging. So I think the theme this year of emerging and re-emerging uh, was a very interesting way to approach and spin it this year. And then to have Leroy, Leroy Raffle here, the founder of Arby's, uh, to tell his story of how Arby's actually went through a, a series of coming out parties as a brand and that they came out for the first time and, and almost failed completely and, and wound up re-emerging. What an appropriate story that was for this audience. And, man, that guy moved everyone in the room. He was phenomenal. Oh, he was, he was absolutely tremendous. Uh, we, were, we were definitely honored to have him there. And then – um, you know, today as well, another good speaker, the uh, the, the CEO of, of Sky Zone, 
really a great story from the from the standpoint, you know, of of the millennials that are, you know, getting into franchising. And I love the fact that there were so many millennials uh, here, you know, former uh, next gen winners as well as some other uh, millennials. But you know, I think the the the, the biggest point, Stan, I think that impressed me through this was the number of mature franchisors that were here to help give back. And um, that's, to me, what franchising is always great about, about giving back at one level or another. I mean, there were, you know, Shelly, Shelly Sun, of course, she's the chairwoman of IFA this year, so I expect to see someone like Shelly here. But, you know, to see Jeff Duden, the CEO of Advance, Havana Clean on a panel, who um, – absolutely has no benefit of any kind that's going to come back to him uh, personally, just paying it forward and paying it forward. And so many franchisors like Jeff and those others, I've called Jeff, he's one of many, but um, you know, these guys, that's what franchising is, Paul. It's the reason this business model is such a standalone and we get it, all of us that are in it. But man, when you try to explain this thing to people from the outside, they just kind of look at you like deer in the headlights and scratch their heads and can't understand how there's such a community of giving and caring and sharing. You know, just the interdependency thing is is not found everywhere like it is in our world. So we're pretty lucky to be in this business, aren't we? We're very, very lucky. And to all those leaving Philadelphia today, you know, safe travels or tomorrow, uh, I will be at the New England Franchise Association meeting in Boston, Massachusetts, tomorrow, uh, speaking about my love of, of franchise development, franchise sales, franchise lead generation. So uh, I was very thankful to be uh, uh, asked to, uh, to speak up there tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been in Boston in a while. Stan, is there anything else um, on the front of the house that we need to talk about um, maybe with the exception of, um, you know, just reminding everybody of uh, a couple of coming up events. You know, I'd like to do that, and just, and then we can dive right into today's program. But if I'd be remiss if, as we're sitting here at Springboard, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't call out that there will be yet another emerging franchise or conference happening um, November 6th through the 8th in Phoenix, Arizona. That will be the IFA Emerging Franchise or Conference. And while that seems like it's just around the corner, uh, the, the reality is there are two things in front of that that are upcoming, Paul. So uh, also out in, on the West Coast in San Diego, October 19th and 20th, will be Frantech 2017, IFA's Franchise Innovation Conference. And uh, behind, you know, following that almost immediately on the heels of that will be the Franchise Expo West uh, November 2nd through 4th in Los Angeles, and then, of course, rolling right out of that into the Emerging Conference. So we are in what I affectionately call silly season for travel and for events that are so crowded on the calendar. Um, you know, it's it's hard to, to fathom, but, um, you know, the actual IFA 2018 convention is really just a couple of months away. And so a very busy fall ahead and into the winter season. And, um, you know, everybody that I'm talking with here at Springboard and just in the course of my business conversations and travel, uh, a really great time to be in franchising. Everybody's attitude is sky high. And from the emerging to legacy brands, franchising just seems to be on fire, Paul. And, you know, business always comes in cycles, but we're in the midst of a good one right now. 
Absolutely, and with hurricanes and other natural disasters in our rearview mirror, uh, if you've yet to make your travel plans and are on the fence, hey, this is a great way to add to your miles and uh, and move up from <laughs> silver to gold or gold to plat- platinum. So um, go ahead and get on the stick and, uh, and get your travel arrangements taken care of. Well, you know, Stan, today's uh, segment of Franchise Today is entitled From Down Under to the Deep End of the U.S. Pool Market as past chair of the World, Asia-Pacific, and Australian Franchise Councils. John O'Brien is a very respected voice for franchising as a business format on an international scale. John is the founder and CEO of Poolworks Corporation, arguably the world's leading swimming pool and spa service company and Australia's largest franchise pool retail group. John, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks very much, Paul. Stan, it's a pleasure to be on your program. Third time is the charm, John. Third time is the charm. <laughs> we've, we've, uh, we've been trying to pull this together for, you know, some very busy people. Uh, you know, there's just been no opportunity to try to get you and us in alignment uh, at the same time. I think we were even considering one of the past efforts would have had you in Australia probably awake at two in the morning to be doing this your time locally. We didn't think that was such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a common thing, isn't it, in, in uh, speaking to franchise executives. I think we, we all live and work in a pretty fast-paced industry. I think it's one of the things that attracts us to it. It's uh, very vibrant. Uh, yeah, it was interesting what you were just saying, Stan. Um, I was actually booked into the emerging uh, franchise conference that you're at now um, and only withdrew a couple of weeks ago because we've just got so much growth happening here and, and the thought I was having was you know, here I was going as a 25 a year old brand going to an emerging franchise conference but it, it's a great way for a brand that's entering the US to re-emerge in another country it was a, a new take on it and very interesting sure man. so true hmm Absolutely. Well, John, uh, as, as Stan always likes to, to say, you know, we don't wake up one day, you know, as we're going through school and say, you know what, I think I'm going to get involved in franchising. And yet, here we are, we're very passionate about the industry. So why don't you take us back as far as you want? Uh, tell us a little bit about John O'Brien, the person, and the trek to, uh, to franchising and where we are today. <laughs> yeah, look, um, I suppose uh, you, you don't go to school uh, wanting to be an entre- be a franchisor, but uh, certainly I come from a very entrepreneurial family. Uh, uh, my my side of the family have uh, owned lots of hotels, and I grew up in country hotels, and the other side of my family actually own a fairly common uh, household uh, electrical appliance brand called Breville that you may be familiar with, uh, uh, Breville uh, jugs and appliances and things like that, uh, O'Brien and Somerville. So fairly entrepreneurial family. It's in the genes and uh, I suppose, you know, in country hotels, I I can remember uh, pouring my first beer at seven and uh, giving it to the guy that owned the local fish and chip <laughs> shop and he got free beer and I got free fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look, I, I uh, went through university and like a lot of us and went out into corporate life and uh, uh, had a, a pretty successful corporate life through my 20s. And uh, uh, somewhere along that way, um, 
my boss at the time. We had a, uh, a service delivery business uh, with vending machines, about 400 drivers across the country, and the business wasn't doing so well. Uh, the company was Cadbury Schweppes, and uh, my boss came back from a franchise convention in the US and walked into my office uh, back in Australia when I was in my mid-20s, and he said, congratulations, John, I'm going to promote you from national sales manager to national franchise manager, and I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I, I had to ask him, was, is that a promotion or, or what? But uh, uh, So that was my introduction, and, and we franchised that business, uh, 400 guys, truck drivers, and 400 franchises through company loans, and we you know, within six months, we turned around a 10-year decline into an increase. And uh, uh, a little bit along the way... Um, we, uh, I was going to close uh, one of our state branches and uh, decided I would uh, like the business so much I'd buy it. So I, I actually talked the board into uh, master franchising uh, one of the Australian states to me and I ended up with three of those states as master franchisees but, uh, before I was 30. So that, that was how I got from having a burning ambition to have my own business to falling into franchising and, and then having my, my whole career in franchising since I was 25. Wow. And how different do you find franchising in Australia and New Zealand as compared to the U.S.? Fundamentally the same, or are there contrasts in compliance issues and legalities of disclosure? Pretty much the yeah, same, or is it different? No, there are, there are definitely nuances. Um, I mean, probably as a surprise to some people, uh, Australia is the most densely populated franchise nation in the world. You know, there's more brands and more franchise outlets and more revenue per head of population than any country in the world. I mean, franchise revenue in Australia is 12% of gross domestic product. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. Wow. Uh, so it's it's very much embraced. Um, you know, we we learned it from the U.S. and, and certainly embraced it well. Uh, it's it's a small population. There's only 25 million people in a continent the size of size of uh, the contiguous states. But uh, there there are nuances. Uh, I mean, the brands um, are smaller um, on average compared to U.S. brands. Uh, I believe that the uh, unit metrics are interesting, that the average revenue per franchise is higher. Um, the, the biggest difference I probably find is um, the US is probably superior in many aspects of franchising to what Australia is, but one thing Australia does very well is relationships between franchisor and franchisee. I, I would hazard to say, uh, in my view, we probably have that one aspect really nailed. Um, you know, disputes in Australia are as low as 3%, which is quite incredible. Um, time in court uh, is very low. So that's an interesting one. Um, I know. I think I know a reason for that, actually. Yes, I yeah. Think yeah. That, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I, I think that one of the reasons for that is you guys in Australia have something there that we don't have here. And that's the threat of Greg Nathan coming to play his guitar and sing if he exactly. misses. And so, <laughs> franchisors yep. know better in Australia than to, oh no, we'll behave, we'll do everything right. No, Greg, you don't have to come sing and bring your banjo here. Everything's okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and, look, but you're right. I say Dan, that uh, you're so right. I mean, he uh, he wrote the book. 
profitable partnerships, and he, he lives and breathes that. And he, he really yeah. has uh, created that culture in Australia almost single-handedly. He spoke at our conference uh, just recently in Fiji yet again. Uh, he's actually been a consultant to our business for over 20 years. So I agree with you. He, he just has a way about that. Well, and I say what I said in jest because Greg has been a um, he's been a close personal friend. I I enjoy having a great relationship with a guy like Greg Nathan, and I joke about him, uh, <laughs> but I do it with with fond affection. And um, and it's it's only a small down payment for some of the things he's done to me. So it's okay. I can do it. It's okay. <laughs> I, I tell you what, Stan. There's, there's probably one other thing that that might be of interest, and uh, you know, I'm a little bit ashamed to say it, but um, we actually had in Australia uh, in the last uh, four weeks, uh, we had our federal government uh, pass legislation uh, uh, regarding um, uh, deemed co-worker status for franchisors and franchisees. So, uh, as my as I understand it, and you know, it's been building here in the US. We're actually the first country in the world to buckle on that. So franchisors are now deemed to be the co-employer of franchisee staff. So it's a bit of a brave new world for us in Australia. Well, that's one lead I'm sorry to hear you taking because that's a very confusing issue for how the business model thrives. And, oh, yeah. uh, that's, that's just a very muddy pool of water right there, speaking of swimming pools, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... You know what we're like in franchising. I mean, it, we're so fleet of foot and so we're entrepreneurial. We'll find a way around problems. So, yeah, we've already begun uh, plans to uh, run trial cases and test the law and create a body of law and, and kind of limit the scope of it. Uh, so it's, it's a you know, franchising will respond, will overcome. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. So, John, let's talk a little bit about you know, the uh, the brand from the consumer's perspective, especially, you know, coming here into the States. You decided to uh, um, look at the United States as the, the next wave of expansion. I believe that was uh, back in 2015. Um, tell us what makes Poolworks different from a, um, you know, from others. What is the differentiating factor? Well, when I, uh, having owned a number of different franchise brands, um, I sold them all in the in the mid '90s, and went looking for a brand or an industry rather that I could uh, take globally. So I didn't I didn't have a particular thing in mind, and I took off actually for six months uh, around the world, uh, kissed the wife and kids goodbye, and. Uh, Went looking for, um, I had a bunch of criteria. I was looking for an industry that had, uh, uh, was established. I didn't have to, have to create a, an awareness. Uh, had a high service component, but service was on the rise. Had good gross profit margins. Had repeat business. But, but above everything, uh, the fifth criteria I was looking for was a disorganized industry. There's, you know, we all know that. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. that franchising has done so well is organised, disorganised industries. <laughs> Pretty hard to find. And uh, after about six months and thinking I wasn't going to find it, I was actually in California and saw a, a pretty beat-up uh, pool truck go down the road. It was you know, a pretty rusted-out truck with a long-haired surfy dude and a pool pole and a surfboard hanging out in the back of his truck. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, gee whiz, um, that sort of truck is going to... 
pool owners by nature are higher wealth people and if they have their pool service they're even higher wealth again that that pretty despicable truck is going to a high-end home there's a disconnect there so I did a bit of homework and found that um, with virtually one exception one or two exceptions there was no franchising in the pool aftermarket pool and spa aftermarket anywhere in the world um, so it was almost untouched by franchising and I went home to Australia and found you know, exactly the same and uh, you know, started a small business there bought a shop with uh, half a dozen vans and got about setting up the uh, the system uh, systems and manuals and training of franchising and uh, you know, today we've got um, over 500 service fans and over over 150 stores in three countries. So it's uh, I hit the mark, that's for sure. Absolutely. So here in the States, you had a uh, two-pronged approach. Uh, one was on converting uh, other pool repair companies and then also uh, bringing on new franchisees uh, from outside the uh, the industry. Which is, um, you know, really what's what's helping you, especially in in Texas. I know, and I know you intend on planning to, uh, you know, expand from there. For the benefit of our listeners, uh, explain exactly what it is that you know Poolworks does. What does a franchisee do? Yeah, look, it was um, it was a slightly different strategy for entering the U.S. Uh, all we had lots of uh, good consulting advice uh, here. Um, in fact, we got our model ready for entry here back in uh, 2008. We exhibited then at the Washington Show, and you know, we all know what happened in 2008, and we we actually uh, mm-hmm. did proceed and went home, thank heavens. But uh, when we saw the, the U.S. market you know, re-emerging strongly a few years ago, um, we actually decided, because the market is so big here, that... Uh, we would do a direct entry. We, we wouldn't do a master franchise or an area development. We'd do direct. And uh, we, um, we purchased a small business in Phoenix, Arizona, which is the, the densest pool population on earth. There's over 200,000 pools uh, in Phoenix. Uh, so we, we actually purchased a small business there with about 10 stores to test our model and get it ready for the US market. Um, we actually then went and bought another business in Florida and another one in California so we could test it right across the Sunbelt uh, and the desert uh, to make sure that uh, our model was US ready. Uh, I think sometimes as an international brand, you come in with a little bit of arrogance and think it's going to work uh, in this country. We've all seen them go, go wrong with that. I mean, it's not exactly franchise, but you know, Starbucks uh, opened some 600 stores in Australia. I think they've got about 10 today because um, they, they didn't adjust their model to, to the Australian coffee taste. But um, we, um, once we, we got our model right here, we something we noticed along the way was... Uh, Whilst in Australia, uh, we we found with um, only a thousand uh, uh, pool shops that uh, it was relatively easy for us over the years with a strong brand. We've got 20% of the market to attract uh, new franchisees to that market to uh, open new stores. But with the US, there's 9,000 pool shop operators in this country and only 1,000 of them are in organised groups. 8,000 of them are Mara Pars. So... That was too big to ignore, and we we found in talking to them that there were two types of Mara and Pa pool shop operators. There were the 
uh, 45-year-olds who had uh, been in the industry a bit of a while or inherited it from mum and dad. And they were um, smart enough, young enough, educated enough to uh, want more organisation, more systems, more marketing to, to take their, their business forward. Um, so they were open to franchising. And then we found there was a second group who were typically mid-60s. Uh, they'd been running this uh, pool shop business for 40 years. that educated their kids and sent them through college. The kids didn't want to run the business. And it's a, a lot of moving parts in the business. And it's a bit hard to sell to another pool person or outside the pool industry. And we found that um, a lot of them were very interested in converting to a franchise model as a method of marketing their business to a to a bigger market of people looking to buy a franchise. So it was an exit strategy for them. Uh, what we call a, a coup, a convert, own and operate, or a coot, a convert, own, operate and transfer the business on. And that's uh, that, that strategy, that conversion strategy, together with attracting new people to our industry, a straight franchising strategy, um, has been... Probably one, one final aspect to that is what we call the matchmaker, where somebody doesn't want to convert to us, but they ask us to find a buyer for their business, what we call a matchmaker. We'll find a, a new buyer to buy an old, person, an old business. Um, so we've kind of got a conversion, a matchmaker, and a straight new-to-industry new to franchise startup model. And it's working so well for us, almost uh, a third, a third, a third. So I have to believe that very similar to what I call uh, businesses that are referred to as a man and his van, uh, contractors, uh, people who build decks, uh, very fractured, fragmented businesses you've already pointed out, there has to be a huge differentiator from the eyes of a consumer who gets in touch with somebody that they find in an in the local marketplace or somebody like you who presents to the market in a, probably a much more professional manner and the experience that a consumer has doing business with you probably even before you've arrived at their home, just the way they're treated on the telephone and making an inquiry is probably a major difference. Talk to the audience a little bit about the consumer's experience with the brand and and the level of engagement and loyalty that you find from the consumer? Look, I think we were very lucky to find this disorganized industry. Um, you know, we, we looked at it and saw that not only were the, the, ser the service trucks, uh, the uniforms, the presentation uh, of the people going to the homes was below par, but, of course, we have retail stores too now, and we found that, uh, you know, apart from uh, a couple of brands, that the majority of brands in the country and, and some independents were smelly shops that uh, were poorly merchandised and uh, no planograms, and um, they really just looked like a small warehouse. So there was a huge opportunity to have a lift in service. There was a huge opportunity to have a lift in retail. Um, and, you know, of course, we're lucky in our businesses that we don't just operate in the domestic poolside business. We also operate in retail, so we, we capture both the do-it-for-me client, so the do-it-for-me client is our service customers who have us come to their home, but also the do-it-yourselfers, so we have the retail store. Um, so we find uh, right in line with what you're saying, that having uh, professionally branded stores, merchandise, planogram, you know, with constant marketing programs, 
um, well-trained retail staff, well-trained service staff, all in uniforms, smart trucks, um, as you said, great web presence, uh, great phone presence. Um, and then the third part of our business, domestic and retail, but also commercial. So our business pretty well splits uh, a third of our revenue is domestic poolside, a third is uh, at the counter, and a third is commercial poolside. So as we developed our specialty and our professionalism, we found so many commercial clients, uh, whether they are um, homeowners associations or condominiums or schools or universities or old folks' homes that had pools, were using just the local guy because they had no other alternative. And when they suddenly had the option to use a national body that had high insurance and good training standards and good certification, they just jumped at us, uh, both in Australia and now in the US. Is that helpful? Stan? Yeah. Yeah, very helpful. Yep. You know, the other thing, Stan, that's probably interesting too is... Um, uh, yeah, we started our business all those years ago, 25 years ago, uh, as what you said, a man and a van business. And uh, yeah, we, we made a decision along the way that that probably wasn't for us, that we wanted to be in business with businessmen. Um, so we, we moved our model up from man and a van to multi-van and developed our system so you, you could be a franchise, franchisee with five or ten service trucks underneath you. And as we moved along that journey, we saw all this commercial business and then developed that, as I said. So as a businessman, you had a domestic service business and a commercial. And then we saw we were leaving a lot of money on the table. We were only in the do-it-for-me market. So we went and, and developed our skill in retail and opened retail stores. So we captured both sides of the market. But something funny happened or along the way. Um, we thought we were just opening retail stores to grab the, um, the do-it-for-me, the do-it-yourselfers, and we've done that. But we found that the retail stores were the best marketing tool for our service business. You know, So our mum would come into the smart retail store that's been designed by women and go, gee, this looks a bit different to most pool stores, and then try to get her water tested and biochemicals because her husband's a busy executive and he's travelling or whatever it is. And when she saw that we have pool servicing, uh, we have whole systems to convert that retail client into a service client. Of course, once they're service, you never lose them. It's a, you know, we're in their backyard every week, repeat business. Um, so we have methods and models to use our retail store as a marketing tool to convert the client to maybe a once-only to a, to a lifetime client. And we call that hub and spoke. Uh, the re you would have heard of that. The retail store is the hub mm -hmm. of the franchisee's business and the spokes of the franchisee's business are his service mm -hmm. truck. So typical franchisee has, uh, has a store and uh, four or five service trucks. Uh, does half of his business uh, poolside and half of his business over the counter. You're listening to Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman along with Paul Segreto and we're talking today with John O'Brien a franchising icon from down under who is re-emerging and bringing pool works to the USA. Franchise Today is brought to you by the Franchise Foundry, where they've been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years. The Franchise Foundry fosters healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. The Franchise Foundry provides both coaching and consulting, a hybrid approach that delivers more effective solutions 
for the franchisor's corporate team as well as for their franchisees. Franchise Foundry team is rich in practical hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and helping you with the navigation needed to guide yourselves through those processes. Learn more about Paul Segreto and the Franchise Foundry and their expanding list of clients at www.franchisefoundry.com. Franchise Today also brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their perspective as well as existing franchisees. This enables you to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from perspective and existing franchisees, including texts. Legal and compliance is simplified, too, with FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for prospective franchisees, replacing those old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. You know, John, you mentioned um, about half the business being poolside and half the business being retail. And as soon as you said poolside, I just had visions of laying out by the pool with an umbrella drink in my hand and, uh, and basking in the sun. So definitely thanks, thanks for that vision. Uh, but kidding aside, you know, what does a day in the life of a, of a franchisee look like knowing that you had just said you're really not looking for, you know, the man in a van, you're looking more of a, you know, a business person. So tell us a little bit about what that day in the life of a franchisee looks like. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, we're looking for business people and the average age of our franchise owners is probably around about 47 these days and typically uh, uh, degree qualified. But uh, always, um, probably 95%, probably like most franchises of our successful franchises are husband-wife teams. And sometimes it's uh, two partners in the business, but normally a husband-wife team. And, and why that's the case is because we're a hub-and-spoke, a retail and service business, um, just the way we're wired, and I know it's a bit of a generalisation, but most of our franchise uh, franchise partners, as we call them, the, the wife will, will run the retail, uh, perhaps marketing side of the business. Uh, let's face it, the, uh, our wives uh, do a lot more shopping than what we do. Uh, and uh, and <laughs> the husband will typically uh, run the service business, service manager, the routing, the, the, the quoting, and and, and run all the trucks. So it, it, it's a bit of a stereotype, but that works very well for us. So uh, typically the, the life of the, um, the retail manager, the, the, the wife in the business, is um, she will uh, 
uh, have uh, one, two or three stores and uh, she will either run one or have a manager in the other couple and uh, make sure that she's engaged with each of those retail managers each morning, that they're on plan with their merchandising, their planogram and their upsell for the day. Um, once the business gets uh, gets up and running in the morning, quite often the uh, the wife will also run back a house, so um, probably have one or two admin staff that are doing the, the purchasing and the um, scheduling for the service vehicles and doing callbacks with our commercial clients. And somewhere in amongst that busy day uh, is probably planning the local area marketing. So that's a, a, a pretty full-on for the, the person running that side of the business. The husband invariably is running the service technicians. Uh, so you know, up bright and early to make sure the service techs have got their their vans all bright and sparkly, that they know what their route is for the day, that they've you know, carefully drilled on what clients are going to see and what their truck needs to be loaded with for the day, any uh, installations and new equipment they might be doing. Um, he uh, makes sure that their routing is sharp for the day. It's the most efficient routing. Um, once those um, guys are out on the road, he'll typically go and do quotes and quoting for uh, commercial business to make sure that we're bringing large hotels or schools or whatever on board uh, and is normally there um, to uh, make sure when the, the techs are coming back in at the end of the day that uh, he's going through the day with them to make sure they've maximised their sales for the day and there's been no problems in the day. Um, that's pretty typically what uh, the two sides of our business will do in a day in the life of a Poolworks franchisee. Excellent. Well, before a franchisee you know, jumps into the deep end, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> and get started with their business. Um, what kind of um, initial training do they go through? Because it seems like, you know, obviously you got the business side of the business, you got the, the operational side of the business. You know, what can they expect um, to, uh, to do in the, as part of their initial training and, and support? You're good, you know, because we call our training center the deep end. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Not because we throw them in, but uh, look, we uh, like <laughs> our business um, industry does, and, and most industries do, has, has quite a lot of moving parts, you know, with retail and service and maintenance and domestic and commercial. So. Uh, it, it's it's not a, a simple business to get across, and that gives us a, a lot of probably competitive de defence against new players coming into our industry and why there's so few. But uh, after 25 years, we've we've pretty pretty well manualised and, and set up for training anything that moves in this industry. So we, um, I was down uh, three or four years ago uh, visiting with Dina Dwyer and the Dwyer Group down at uh, Waco and. I was so impressed uh, with their training facility, both uh, formal academy and technical hands-on for each of their franchise brands. And those guys share so well, like you were talking about, their um, Stan, our franchising shares. And uh, I went back to Australia and uh, uh, actually sold our headquarters and purchased a new headquarters so I could build the best um, swimming pool technical and academic and retail training facility in the world and, and did that, been recognised for that. But in coming to the US, um, whilst in the first, uh, we've been here for three, nearly three years now, uh, for the first uh, 18 months, we, we sent all our new franchisees to Australia for training, but that's not really sustainable to be away that long. So um, we just opened here in, in Dallas, uh, Texas, uh, 
six months ago uh, what we believe is the best um, pool training centre um, in, in the US, in North America, if not the world. Um, we have uh, a full warehouse with uh, swimming pools built into the warehouse, every piece of the functioning equipment in the industry that you can imagine, and our suppliers are very generous and involved. We have academy training facilities and a, and a fully operational retail store. So new franchise partners are... Uh, invariably come in as a husband and wife team they have three weeks of residential training and it's pretty much split into those three uh, three parts it's technical training sales and marketing training and business and admin training of course they can bring their staff along uh, but we have a program uh, once they go back to their hometown uh, of course they're allocated their regional business development manager and we, we have a program called forming good habits um, it actually runs for 12 months because like most industries, you have a season in your industry. We have about four or five in ours. And until you've got through that first 12 months, um, you really haven't got through your first summer or your first Christmas or Easter or whatever it might be. So your business development manager is taking you from, from uh, pool school training in the deep end uh, all the way through that first 12 months and, and take you through every season you're going to and to come across, and by the time you move to your second year, uh, of course, it's the second time around and you're okay. So so that's our 12-month program to get people started. So it seems to me, John, that on the conversion side anyway, your targets for franchising are pretty evident and clear. On the startup side, though, um, what are the attributes that you're looking for that are absolute must-haves you know, Walt Disney had an old saying about hire the attitude, train the skill. So yeah. we know that anything dealing in retail, obviously you have to have a, a people type of, or a relationship type personality. But what are the other attributes that you see repeatedly in the successful franchisees in your system? And do you actually score that and, and measure that uh, so that you know who best to bring on board going forward? Yeah, absolutely we do. I mean, after 25 years, you know, you have a pretty good track record of working out what's the personality profile of, you know, what will work and what won't. And because we're very husband-wife oriented, um, we personality profile um, both the husband and the wife uh, and that we, we then model it against our ideal profile and, you know, we can see where the variances are and, you know, when they come in to, uh, to our Dallas head office for dinner with with me and with uh, the senior team and then go through a discovery day the next day you now we talk to them about uh, the variances between where they are and where the ideal is but you know, nature's very kind you know it, it husband and wife teams invariably attracted because they're they're opposites and where one's strong the other's weak and we, we almost always find with the good applicants that uh, exactly that and they've got the whole package covered uh, as a team so the three things, though, that, that we score really, really highly, and, and there's only three, you've already said one, um, Paul, and you know, that's having a high social skill, uh, the ability to you know, liaise with clients and deal with clients. I mean, if you, if you don't like dealing with customers, don't go into business. <laughs> uh, the, the other one's leadership, um, you know, because invariably you know, a franchisee together with you know, part-time staff or whatever is going to have a staff of about 15 or 20 and... If you, if you can't direct traffic and if you're not an inspirational leader, um, you're not going to keep good people. Um, the final one and the most important one and the one we score the highest 
is simply the desire to achieve, the desire to be a winner in life. And uh, yeah, we, once you've got that, uh, you can pretty well overcome anything. Um, we have five values in our business, and uh, one of those values is dare to succeed. Uh, each of those three things relate to one of the values, and the, the, the high achievement drive relates to our dare to succeed value. And we find if you've got that, you can pretty well overcome the ups and downs and adversities that you know, everybody will have in their franchise journey. Talk a little bit too about the investment ranges and the different types of offerings and how those look for people that are interested in the business model. Yeah, we do have, um, we call it a career path in, in business franchising. Um, we, we call it uh, four tiers in five years where uh, you can come in as a man in a van. We will take you through to multi-van operation. We'll take you through to retail hub and spoke operation and then multi-retail hub and spoke operation. So um, we can take people uh, across the, the whole journey or you can actually enter at any stage along the journey. Um, and that gives us a very broad scope. Uh, of course, at a, if you're coming in at a man in a van and you want to take the five-year journey and go through all four stages, we can actually attract a, a younger franchisee who mightn't have as, as much access to finance or backing, uh, you know, people as young as 28, 25, um, and that'll typically cost you $95,000 for an entry, um, and that covers all of your initial franchise fee and all of your training, it's uh, uh, absolutely lock and load. Um, through to a hub and spoke operation, which is either a startup uh, uh, retail store in vans, um, that's probably going to cost in the order of about $300,000. Or indeed, if it's uh, somebody who wants to go into an established business and we've got uh, a whole bunch of existing retail stores that are for sale from independents that want to join Poolworks or in fact recently joined um, independents to Poolworks that want to sell, depending on the size of that business, that's typically an established business that's close to four or $500,000. John, you seem um, very, very um, on point as to exactly what you wanted. You wanted an, an industry that was um, kind of in disarray. You had some very specific criteria. So I'm going to ask you, what is your vision for the next five years, as I'm sure you do have some type of, of plan in place? <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, I think it's an interesting mix, isn't it, this thing that attracts us to franchising. It attracts entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. but entrepreneurs who have the ability to put systems and plans in place, which is in some ways uh, the antithesis of, of an entrepreneur, but organised entrepreneurs. So, yeah, look, we uh, we have very uh, formalised uh, five-year rolling plans that we, we redo every year and... Uh, we, um, yeah, we're kind of uh, reaching capacity uh, in Australia as we speak. So yeah, we're lucky with a, a rock-solid uh, brand and profitable business in Australia to, uh, to model our business here. Um, very conservative uh, uh, five-year plan for the US is uh, 300 stores, 900 service vehicles uh, across the Sun Belt. So, um, you know, in less than, uh, uh, gee whiz, less than two years now, We've opened 150 service vans and 30 stores 
across seven states. So it, it's been a good start for us, and we're right on plan. So, yeah, the, the five-year plan, 300 stores, 900 service vehicles, coast-to-coast across the Sun Belt. Well, you know, I think, uh, as we said at the, uh, the beginning, before we even started the show, this was going to be very conversational. But, again, another pun, I, I think we just tipped our toes in the water. We probably <laughs> could talk a, a very long time, without a doubt. Um, tell people, John, how they could learn more about Poolworks and its franchise opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, the place of everybody. Just go on to uh, poolworks.com. That's poolworks with a W-E-R-X. And that'll be a really good uh, start place to uh, learn a little bit more about our business, uh, hear testimonials from our franchise partners, be able to get access to our franchise development team. But uh, we we have such a a 25-year history now that... uh, you know, we're, we're in a good position that we're very open with, with anything in our business, um, very open with all of our successful franchise partners, uh, very happy to come and uh, visit with you and your local patch to talk to you about Pool Works and, and your journey, your family's journey and where you want to go. I mean, everything comes back to where a family wants to go in their life and then work back from, from their family's uh, plan and goals in life to see how Pool Works can enable them and help them on their journey. Uh, it's not about us first. It's about what we can do for them. And then, you know, we're only too willing to uh, to engage with people and bring couples uh, uh, at our expense. Uh, here to our corporate headquarters in Dallas, Texas, we um, uh, not only have uh, our corporate headquarters and training facility, we purchase the largest independent pool business in North Texas here in Dallas. Uh, it, it's a lovely business. It has all five moving parts of our industry. Uh, service, maintenance, retail, spa, and remodel. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an $8 million business, but uh, that's our practical training facility. So people can come here for an evening and a day to our uh, do a discovery day uh, and not only see our formal training facility, but go out and see what their business could look like and operating in the real world. So, uh, you know, if people want to come on that journey, we're only too happy to bring you in and meet with you and see how we might be able to help you and your family with works. Well, that's great. Well, John, I want to thank you for uh, being persistent with us and trying to get you on the uh, the show. Uh, but uh, I think it was uh, well worth the wait, and I appreciate you being with us today. Look, I suppose just on that, Paul and Stan, I mean, you, you have been very persistent too and very generous, and, it, and it's an honor and pleasure. Thank you to be on your program, Mark. But, uh, you know, as I go to IFA, I've been to every IFA since 1996, but, uh, uh, and, and meet lots of friends in, in franchising in the U.S. And, um, you know, if I can uh, just reach out to uh, uh, founders or CEOs in franchise brands on your program that, that are um, looking to enter the Australian market, I mean, having, um, you know, being a Hall of Famer in, in Australia and having been at it for over 35 years, they're only happy to... Uh, uh, to be a local uh, helping hand to uh, American franchisors that might be looking to enter Australia, um, just from a practicing franchisor's uh, point of view. If somebody would like to have a, a coffee or a beer and talk about that at any stage or a telephone call or at this upcoming IFA, uh, happy to help in entering Australia. That's very nice of you. Very nice of you. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, Stan, um, another um, great show. Great 
company, great brand, making a splash into the uh, into the U.S. market. Yeah, Paul, I, I caught every one of those puns, and they, they were all good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, this was uh, we always say the things that are worth having are worth waiting for, and I'm so glad that we've had this hour um, because you can just hear the level of professionalism and sincerity and the generous offer at the end of the interview uh, is just indicative of the things we were talking about at the beginning of the hour as well about what it takes to be successful in this business and that giving and sharing and caring and all of that personified in John O'Brien. I'm, I'm really proud to know the guy. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. And I can't wait to, uh, to meet him in person and talking about meeting in person, Stan, it was great seeing you. We finally got an opportunity to spend some time together in the real world. It seemed like of late, we either didn't get a chance to see each other or when we were at the same event, we were just, uh, you know, passing by and, and saying hello and, and nothing else. So uh, I really appreciate that as well as, you know, seeing all of our friends uh, and colleagues in franchising, it was a great few days uh, here in the city of Brotherly Love. Again, a great shout-out to, uh, to Lane Fisher and, uh, and Brad Fishman. It's just a, uh, a tremendous event all the way around. And, of course, next week, Stan, we have Sam Ballas as our guest from East Coast Wings uh, on Franchise Today, and I'm really looking forward uh, to that because I love Stan's Sam's perspective on profitability. Uh, he was telling me yesterday that they were self-sustained at uh, 23 units, uh, royalty sustained at 23 units, and we're going to de- take a nice deep dive into that next week. Next week's all about EBITDA. That's Sam's buzzword. He lives it. He breathes it. He even wears it on the tag of his car uh, as his vanity yep. plate. It's all about the EBITDA. So it'll be a yep. a study. Yep. It'll be a study in unit economics next week for certain, Paul. Yep. And until then, until next week, my name is Paul Segretta wishing you the best, the very best in this great, great thing we call franchising and franchise today is Franchise Pros Stand the man Paul Segretto Time to show you the way Of franchising today Hey, do you possess the spirit Of an entrepreneur Wanna lay your business plan down Like a rug or a floor Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis Or whatever passion lights that pilot light Under your belly Or do you want to start a business fam Using the proof Trademark from another brand, huh? And grow together and expand like a rage of fire from a single to a multi unit empire. Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear is streaming in HD to fine tune both of your ears. And standing Paul lays down the law. Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor, it's all about sustainable growth, the sensible franchising, proven concepts, the smart enterprises. Use your left and right side of your brain and absorb this knowledge here of franchising today. Huh, Badlands, baby. Huh. Franchising today. Sustainable growth. The sensible franchising. Franchise today. Sustainable growth. 
Thank you. 